You're listening to the Toolstation Western League podcast with Ian Knockholds and Tom Hiscott. Welcome, listeners, to episode 26 of the Toolstation Western League podcast with me, Ian Knockholds, and I'm delighted to be joined on the line by our social media manager. It is Mr. James Healy. Hello, Jim. How are you? I'm very well, Ian. Bit of sunshine breaking through here. How are you? Yeah, well, it feels like the sort of the morning after the season before, doesn't it? At the moment, I think we're all yeah. still sort of coming to terms with the uh, the uh, the revelations, the inevitable revelations of last week, um, which we will, of course, be covering on this week's um, episode of the podcast. I mean, before we do get round to the running order, I mean, it is customary at the moment for you and I to 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 share dietary anecdotes. I mean, how is your diet going? Yeah, healthy eating's gone a little bit out of the window. We're not so strict, which is actually quite nice because then we can we're a bit more free of what we can and can't actually eat. So still eating reasonably well, but we had we did have a pizza the other night or a small pizza between us, so it's not too bad. I'm losing weight gradually, so I think it's steady rather than drastic, which is good. How about yourself? Yes, well, Mr. Wick, I don't know if we covered this on last week's podcast, but Mr. Wicks has sort of moved up a gear, so we're in. We're, we're now we're now using weights and things. In fact, and it, I am feeling a burn. I must confess. I mean, you know, I'm not sort of deadlifting anything or anything like you know anything drastic. Anything drastic, but um, it's it. You know, that part of it's going well. I suppose the problem is the you know, like you say, the dietary side of things. That just the way the world is at the moment, particularly over the last week when we're sort of staring down the barrel of you know fair few months potentially with no league football not really the best time to be sort of cutting down on little life's little treats is it really but um i mean i'm not advocating of course every listener falls off the wagon um you know keep it together um but yeah it's uh, it's um it's it, we're, we're plodding along i'm i'm still i'm keeping it up and um you know that's all good stuff anyway on this week's podcast, we hear from the chairman of the Toolstation Western League, Mr. John Paul, uh, talking about, of course, the FA's uh, decision to curtail the uh, the current season and, of course, the ramifications of that. We've also got Jim's Twitter roundup and uh, we have in quite possibly his most explosive interview ever on the Toolstation Western League podcast, the CEO of Ref Support, Mr. Martin Cassidy. He was in excellent form uh, when I spoke to him earlier. Martin's been having rather a busy time uh, recently. Many We don't normally talk about professional football uh, on, uh, on, the, on the Western League podcast, but um, given Ref Support's um, reach, particularly on social media, um, it, uh, it did inevitably come up. And I think, listeners, it's definitely one um, to wait for. Uh, but anyway, before we get into that, we will kick off with my interview with John Paul, the chairman of the of the Toolstation Western League. And as I'm sure we're all aware now, on Wednesday of last week, the Football Association recommended that steps three to six of the of the National League system should be curtailed with immediate effect. Uh, basically, that means no league matches taking place this season. Uh, now, that decision needs to be ratified by the FA Council, but um, I started my conversation with John by asking him just what the difference between curtailing and null and void actually is. Everything that was prepared, Ian, with regards to the surveys and such like, did not mention curtailment in any way, shape or form. Uh, this was dropped on us when the press release came out. On the Wednesday night, um, the clarification was sought what was the difference between null and void and curtailment. And that is really where um, 
I think things became somewhat clearer uh, and it was yet again back around the restructuring process. By allowing the season to be curtailed, it allowed them to be able to take all the statistics from this last season. Um, I wouldn't suggest you know the previous season, but even maybe. Uh, but that was where uh, curtailment became, what can I say, the, the prime reason for the terminology null and void would, would have meant quite simply that they would have had to expunge all uh, records. It led into the, Mark Frost, who was chairing the, the meetings, quite simply stating that a feasibility study was going to be undertaken um, to see whether there was any merit in going forward with the restructuring process. Um, he did make the point that it would be applicable to only steps four to six, which is quite interesting really because four was originally, um, what can I say, not part of the restructuring process as uh, they'd indicated that their season would be not containing any promotion or relegation. Um, and it makes sense that you could not go ahead with the restructuring process unless step four was included. So in answer to your question, avoid that, that was, you know, the clarification was put around curtailment as against not avoid. So we know then that there will be no more league matches this season, but in terms of um, next season, the future of our Western League clubs is still potentially um, open for discussion by the Football Association. So if they're undertaking a feasibility study into the restructuring, does that mean that we could still see clubs move from our first division into our Premier Division, potentially from our Premier Division um, into the Southern League and, 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 and possibly other leagues? I think if they go ahead with the restructuring, I think that's inevitable. Uh, there, uh, they, they, there's a real determination, in my view, and I, th I think it's a view that, that we all share from you know from the Western League Board's point of view, is they desperately want to get this other step five division up and running in the Thames area, and they also want to be looking at um, the other uh, division uh, in what I think is right in the north of the Midlands at step four. Uh, and I don't, they aren't going to be satisfied until such time that they can get that moving. The effect that that's going to have is, is looking from the outside in, the Hellenic League probably are going to take the biggest hit by having to offer clubs up to the, uh, this new Thames League. Therefore, uh, it would mean that, that clubs could be vulnerable from a Western League perspective in being taken into the Atlantic League, as would be the combined counties adjacent to uh, the Atlantic League. So that's about as much as I can say in terms of the effect that it would have on the Western League clubs. I have spoken to the Atlantic League to ask if they've got any plans. They say they haven't, but... Um, you, you'd have to draw your own conclusions as regards to the position that some of our clubs find themselves in the footprint that's been created for the Western League.
uh, and hilariously. I mean, in, in the conversations you've had with the with the FA, John, ha has there been any indication of whether this restructuring exercise um, will be made compulsory for clubs? On Wednesday at the meeting, uh, one question was posed about uh, compulsory promotion. And the answer that came back is nobody would be to take promotion. They did add the rider that nobody would be relegated. That was a statement that came from them. There will be no clubs relegated. I can't really, <laughs> I can't really say, Ian, to be quite honest, because everything appears to be quite vague at the moment with regards to this restructuring process. We know what the plans are. We they've they've laid that out. But whether they're going to use the present situation and apply different terms and conditions, I can't really answer that, to be quite honest, because I don't, I don't know what they're thinking is. I don't see any reason why they should if they want to push on with it. But to go and say that they won't force any club to go up, I mean, if they said to, to one of the Western League clubs, well, laterally, you've got to move, does that give them the right to say, well, no, we aren't going to? I, I don't know. And, and the answer, if we had any of the conversation, we've not been a party to any of the restructuring thoughts or, you know, that go behind the restructuring. Everything has been laid out to us. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that's one of the questions that the, the FA's feasibility study will, will clear up. So it might well be something that we return to. Uh, in further interviews but um, if we pick up on one of the, the topics from previous issues and um, from previous interviews we, we discussed this the, uh, the the consultation exercise that the, the FA undertook with clubs in in January and I know that that was part of their decision to curtail the season uh, along with along with other factors so has there been any indication uh, about what what what, what the overall results were for that exercise, but more, I suppose, more, more important for us, what our member clubs said uh, is part of that exercise. I mean, in terms of the overall position of step five, uh, null and void carried through uh, a 53% in favour. Um, with regards to the Western League, null and void went down to 61%, which... So that obviously leaves uh, the split with uh, the August restart and then there were other options that were put forward along um, around play, everybody playing one another ones, all, all different sort of proposals that um, were being talked about at the time. One assumes that some of the, the thing was, I mean, like I said, you know, we, we've never ever been in a position to be able to have access to how the clubs um, voted. It was in between the clubs and the FA, so we were never privy to. Sort of moving moving forward then, um, I, I'm sure that you were like me uh, listening to the Prime Minister last week make the announcement as uh, about how we were going to come out of lockdown. And of course, one of the most eye-catching announcements as part of that was the, um, the revelation that outdoor sport would recommence on March the 29th. Now... I know plenty of people in the game are trying to work out exactly exactly what that means. So I, I, I did a bit of digging myself into the the government's um, statement from um, uh, from last Monday, and it's a um, 68 page document. But it does make one interesting reference to outdoor sports, and it says that for formerly organised outdoor sports for adults and under 18s can restart 
uh, and will not be subject to the gatherings limits, but should be compliant with guidance issued by national governing bodies. So my reading of that, John, is that we're back to square one waiting on um, guidance from the FA, not just in terms of when um, spectators can enter and um, the social distancing that we as fans might need to adhere to, but actually also we're waiting to hear for players when they can start training and um, and when they can use things like uh, uh, changing rooms again. I mean, is that your reading of, of where we are in terms of restarting football? Exactly where we are. I mean, when I, I know I keep referencing last Wednesday's meeting, but I mean, apart from what everybody's been made aware of in terms of the press releases, we're void of information as well. The one thing that wasn't said was whether they were continuing to have meetings with the DCMS. The reason I say that is because there's the potential there for them to be able to negotiate possibly with, with regards to the opening of clubhouses and taking spectators back in. But at the moment, the national guidance is that from levels three to six, we are where we are. So your interpretation of it is exactly the same as ours. Because I know that there are clubs out there that are keen to organise friendlies, and I know that there are plenty of people who'd like to see tournaments um, um, put in place over the sort of the final weeks of, of, of the season. I mean, uh, you know, have, have, have you, have the Western League board had any, had any thoughts along those lines? Yes, they did. Um, we, we did, uh, I say we, I mean, a couple of colleagues did a lot of work on this and, and we, we came up with various options about, you know, knockouts and one thing or another. We put together what we consider to be extremely good format. But the problem we have uh, is, is again, referencing clubhouses and spectators. There's no clarification on whether that's going to be acceptable to have people coming in or not. Against which we got clubs still in the FA Vols and the intention is, is to continue with the Les Phillips Cup so that we can get that completed. So therefore it was felt that at this point in time um, for us to launch any other competitions would probably mean that, that some clubs would choose not to participate. It, 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 it just didn't appear to be what would have been considered to be the best solution. Um, so hopefully Western League sides will still be playing in the um, in the FA Vars. And, and I mean, I think it's fantastic news that we're actually able to talk about finishing something. You know, we haven't been able to f yeah. finish something yeah. for two seasons. So, we're, you know, if we can finish that Les Phillips Cup, that's fantastic. But I mean, for those cl other clubs that do want to play, and I know that the work that the, the, the Western League board put into that, tournament design was very much along some form of regional format i mean yeah. you know it, it's quite off you know it's quite uh, logical i suppose that clubs will want to uh, will, will want to play and i suppose the message really is that once we've actually got that clarity from the football association then um, then then clubs will be will be able to see a way back to playing um, local friendly matches again yeah i, I mean you know as everything's done and sort of sanctioned so that that you know, they just be a little bit careful what you're doing because I was just insurance issues and everything else and liability issues. But look, everybody wants to play football again. And, you know, for us to be sort of trying to launch any competitions that, that is not going to get sort of complete support, it would seem a bit pointless when, when as, you know, as I just stated, that we got clubs that are already going to be participating, albeit not everybody appreciate, in, in competitions anyway. 
and there's nothing stopping any any of these clubs from you know from getting together uh, and organising their own competitions. You know, you have to bear in mind that 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 like the conditions, the government legislation is going to prevail at this point in time. I think we'll, we'll sort of finish then by by looking forward, not just to the um, opportunities that we hope exist um, for play to continue in the next few weeks, but actually, perhaps the bigger question is what what we're going to be faced with next season. And I, I mean, we've talked about the restructuring, and I appreciate very little is known about that. And I'm sure that you know you'll return to the podcast um, to, to talk about that in the future. But I mean, you know, from Wednesday's meeting, was there any indication given? as to what might happen if we have any more COVID interruptions next winter? You'd expect me to say yes, wouldn't you, Ian? But <laughs> if I could take you back to the previous meeting, not last Wednesday's, but the previous meeting, they started that meeting off by asking two questions. And one was, how would you want to see the, league, uh, the season concluded? That was the present season. And how would you want to see the new season started? The second question I think got one response from one league. I, I had no idea where or what plans they would have with regards to. The, the only sensible statement that's gone forward was somebody suggested that there should be emergency set of plans drawn up, which would be applicable to any situation similar to, heaven forbid, to an outbreak um, like we've just experienced now. So they could be referred to at any given time. And that didn't get any response at all. So one could only assume that, that they won't get caught out again. They've they'd got themselves in this position um, simply because they didn't do that after the last experience. I can't believe that they would put themselves in that position again. But in answer to your question, is, is there any contingencies? Is there any plans as regards to how the season's going to start? I think there's an assumption that everything will be all right in August. I mean, that's not been said, to be fair, but I think that that might be the view that, that they would consider come August, everything would be back to normal. But that still doesn't eliminate the fact that they should be putting something in place in the event of. At the moment, the answer is no. No contingencies in place. John? Thanks very much um, again for your time. I mean, it's it, I, I don't like to finish on a sort of a on a on a on a negative note because um, you know we know that the situation in this country is improving every day, and we can only hope that we get back to normality as the as the prime minister wants, um, you know, on 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 schedule. Um, and I suppose if we have anything, you know, the greatest positives that we have to reflect upon is that we still hope to see our clubs in competitive action in the VARs and, and to get that um, and to get that Les Phillips Cup uh, completed. And I, and I think if we can do that, then that will be a celebration for our league. I agree with that. And I mean, I, I think that's the you know, somewhat embarrassing situation that every time you invite me to come on, there's so much negativity. There's, there's so many questions that, that sit out there all the time, you, you know, we're trying to beaver away to, to try to get to a point where any decisions that we make are based against sort of factual information, but trying to get information. Um, and you have to appreciate sometimes it may be difficult for the FA as well, but it's, it's been very, very difficult and still continues to be very difficult. This is the first bit of clarity we had that we aren't going to play any more league games. But it, it certainly hasn't given us all the answers. 
and we just sit now with a firm belief that the restructuring process will go ahead. But even then, you know, um, with that, we're, 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 we're not sure. We're just, we're just not sure. And my thanks to John for his time. Now then, Jim, um, I suppose the, the Twitterverse has been waiting with bated breath um, for the announcement um, as to what we're ex what we're going to be doing over the coming months. I mean, have you what have you picked up from our member clubs over Twitter this week? Straying away from from the news, it's uh, been looking at what clubs have been doing. They say cribs have been continuing there on this day, a couple of blank days, which is quite funny because they still tweet, but it's. Uh, as I said last week, it's quite interesting to see who clubs beat on certain days of the year. I used to do that when I was down at Yeovil and it always went down really well. So, so yeah, I look forward to reading reading them each day. Uh, Hallen have been on this week, uh, showing off their pitch, having a, having a cut. Um, I think it's quite well known amongst the league and clubs in the league that Hallen's pitch is uh, up there with one of the best around in the, in the tall stage in Western League. So it's nice to see... Uh, See it being cut, a bit of a bit of a shadow like that. So we're, it's always good to see the pitches being cut. Um, Roman Glass have been doing their thank you to their sponsors. Such an easy thing to do, really. And I think sometimes it goes unforgotten that clubs are needing their sponsors. So a little bit of publicity for player sponsors and club sponsors for a simple tweet uh, keeps them engaged as well. So it's, uh, it's good to see that them putting thank yous out to everybody. Uh, Bishop Sutton uh, over the weekend doing some stand renovations. There's a few guys down there doing uh, doing up their stand. Looks like they've done a good job. Picked a nice weekend for it with the weather, that's for sure. Uh, same down at Exworth. They've been busy on social, um, posting before and after shots of the renovations they've been doing, the tea hut. So I look forward to going down there in the Having a big greasy burger, the dial go out the window. Then no doubt. <laughs> also, they put up that they've got now hundred members of their supporters club as well, which is good to see. So oh, that's uh, very good. Yeah, so they're they're doing well down at Exmouth at the moment. They're very active on their social with uh, what they're doing down there. Sherborne have been tweeting about their online club shop, uh, so you can get all your merchandise. And I'm sure other clubs have uh, still got their shops up and running. So if you fancy a pair of branded speedos or something like that maybe you can, <laughs> uh, maybe you can get them rather than a woolly hat uh bridgewater this morning tweeted about the potential redevelopment plans at fairfax park uh, so have a look at their website bridgewatertown.co.uk and have a look at their plans it, uh, exciting times down there by, by the looks of their plans hopefully uh we'll get the go ahead and yeah look nice um you say the the plans on their website quite exciting with all of the uh, development they hope to to get in down there and uh, finally well done to everybody at Warminster uh, I think we've covered it for the last few weeks their run from Warminster to Barcelona uh, initially they wanted to raise about a thousand pound but they've now they're just shy of uh, 1,400 going to the Warminster food bank so it's a, a great effort by everyone involved and I'm sure uh, they would like to say thanks to everyone for, for sponsoring them and raising such a such a good amount for a really worthwhile cause. That's about it, really. Yeah, well, I mean, plenty going on, and particularly that incredible story coming out of Warminster Town. I mean, we had Owen Bartley, of course, on at the start of that journey, and we've had Roland uh, Millward on last week talking about, you know, what that 
that fundraising effort was all about. And one of the things I thought was really clever about what they were doing is they equated the amount of money they were looking to raise um, with uh, with actual, you know, what it means to the actual charity, you know, what it means to supporting the charity. And of course, we were told by Owen that um, the Women's Food Bank, because of demand, is currently having to find £400 a month to meet that demand. And, uh, you know, the idea behind their fundraising was to try and plug that, um, you know, initially, I, I mean, the £500 is obviously going to plug that for just over a month. Um, well, you can see how many months that uh, their efforts will be supporting people. And, you know, at this pivotal time, as we come out of lockdown, you know, that really is going to make all the difference while, you know, we, we, we still live with these restrictions. So, I mean, what they've done, not only, you know, for, for their football club, but I think the uh, their community is, is truly outstanding and an example for us all. Um, so, yeah, absolutely brilliantly done for them. If you're thinking, Toolstation, I know they'll save me money, but do they have all the top brands? You know, DeWalt, Makita, Einhell, Stanley, Myra, Kudox, Nest and Santex. Yeah, they do. Over 15,000 trade quality products in the range from the leading brands with prices that are hard to beat. If you want to help in hand to save on your next job, try Toolstation. With over 300 branches, there's always a Toolstation near you. Uh, right then. Uh, now, an old favourite of the Toolstation Western League podcast is Martin Cassidy, of course, Ref Support. We love the whistle here and we do like to talk about the work that uh, Ref Support does, particularly in our area and with our with our clubs. Um, I know Martin is always full of praise uh, for his time in the Toolstation Western League. Um, I think we all know that uh, you know match officials tend to be the pantomime villains of our game and I think it's really important that Martin puts the case for the defence. Well, um, I mean, he, he's turned into Rumpole of the Bailey this week because and you, you will never hear a stronger case um, for the defence of match officials than, than the one that you are about to. Um, I originally got in touch with Martin because I was interested to hear about his campaign, Give the Ref a Hand. And indeed, during the course of this interview, it will get touched upon a fair few times. But of course, anybody who's been following what's been going on in the Premier League over the last couple of weeks won't have failed to uh, to have realised that um, referees and refereeing decisions have been incredibly controversial. And that has elicited some very explosive media attention and also um, some some pretty um, abhorrent criticism on social media, it would be fair to say. And um, and really, that's where Martin kicks us off. So when I started speaking to Martin, I said to him that despite the fact that the rest of us haven't got any football to watch down in the Western League, um, I imagine he's never been so busy. Thanks. It's always lovely to be on, on the podcast, like I've said before. You know, that's where I, uh, I came through the Western League is you know, a linesman, a referee, a coach, and I'm still working there in, in other forms, supporting referees and clubs coming through. And, but yet, unfortunately, yeah, it's getting quite bad. And, and what's happening is it's clear that there's frustrations out there in the game. It's very, very clear with regards to what's happening with the top flight game. But what people seem to think is that what happens at a top flight game, that's that's all there is. You don't realise that the top flight is, is 99. 8% of footballers plays away from TV cameras. And they just seem to think that, you know, whenever anything goes out, trying to do some positivity about helping referees and the relationship between um, players and referees, the reference point always seems to be that 4.2%. And I just feel when people start realising this, that, you know, we own this game. Re grassroots football owns the game. 
if we everyone all of a sudden stop stop playing grassroots football, it would not have an effect on, on our game. And I think when you see some of the posts that are going out and people, you know, we genuinely, genuinely created a, an idea called Give the, Give the Ref the Hands, which was an exclusive um, in the times of Henry Winter about giving the ref a hand. It wasn't just about a clap. And then the Times put out a photograph of Mike Teen on this give the ref a hand saying, we want to clap out refs, which then just adds thousands and thousands of abuse. Some of the tweets were just outrageous. And I know you've seen them, mate. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I wanted to get you on the podcast to talk about the Give the Ref a Hand campaign because, um, you know, let's not get distracted. What I'm really interested to hear what you were looking to do because what you were looking to do would have benefited and celebrated the referees that we have, or the match officials, I should say, that we have in the Western League. Yeah, yeah, and it was me named at, at, at youth teams and a lot, of, a lot of the teams in the Western League. Uh, we con contacted loads of them, you know, and loads of them said, well, yeah, this is a great shout all we wanted to do is come back from COVID a better game. The last the last lockdown, nothing changed. The fact it got worse. We had a spike in, in people getting older of us and saying, look, you know, the people are just losing the marbles over, over a towing. Whereas in the past, we might have just gone, oh, come on, ref. I mean, there was a clear raise in the temperature about people came out of lockdown. I think this time, I think people have realised even more so because the weather's been terrible. We couldn't sit in our gardens and work like we could in the last lockdown. It's been a real lockdown. This has just took to another level. The dark nights, the bad weather, the cold. And I think everyone's missing football mm. a, little, a little bit more. And what, what we want to do is the Give the Ref a Hand is, is, is a campaign about Give the Ref a Hand to create a better environment for us to participate in football. Give the Ref a Hand to create an environment where young referees and young players and flourish, give the ref a hand to create something that we want to do every week. We don't want to regret. We don't want to think, oh my God, I've got to go to that ground now because they give me loads or those players are terrible. And and to start that is just as a as a as a sort of activation, which just clap the ref out on the first game back. It was mainly aimed at, at grassroots and youth football. But you know, we had clubs in the Western League and Richard Lidiard who one and said, yeah, we'll 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 embrace this straight away. If they want to use it at the Western League itself, then great. If they want to use it, brilliant. The more you use it, the better. But this was more about, let's get older the grassroots game ourselves and the problems there, and let's address it ourselves. Away from the FA, the FA's got the respect campaign. They, they've had years to do something, and it hasn't really, really got any traction. And, you know, we just feel if all of us get together on this and create something that, that we want, clubs can own it, to say, look, we want to support you as a ref. Lots of referees have said... I don't want to get clapped out, you know, I feel a bit of a knobhead. You know, I, I don't want to be like, you know, the centre of attention, which we get, we absolutely get that too. But let's just not do nothing. Let's try to do something where we all know, Ian, at the amazing clubs in the Western League, when I go there, what I know I'm going to go there as, as a referee coach and I'm going to have a crack. I know I'm going to have a crack. Yeah, I'm going to hear these comments and yet yeah, some of them might not be acceptable. But we need to understand that Let's understand that that isn't acceptable. We're not fair game. There's all there's the Rainbow Races campaign. Yep. There's the Kick It Out campaign. There's all these camp campaigns, brilliant stuff that we support. You know, and we know, you know, there's huge problems in football with racism and and and, and homophobic abuse and and all these stuff that need addressing. But what seems to be happening is, if you had a referee who was gay, 
and black. They're fair game because they're a referee. If you take the black person away and, and the, you know, a gay person away, oh, no, you can't say anything to them. They're protected, which is white, absolutely 100% right. But if they've got a referee's shirt on, they're fair game, no matter what colour, creed or religion they are. So let's just understand this, that we've got people defending the corners of all those problems we've said, racial abuse, homophobic abuse, and every other form of abuse, which we support and we want to address together. But the referee abuse, no, 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 that's just to the side. And that's like, no, they're fair game from the TV right down to the grassroots level. And I just can't see why football doesn't recognise that. I know one of the reasons why I've enjoyed our conversations over the years and why I, I you know, I really support the work of you and your organisation, Martin, is because I think what your efforts are trying to do is remind us of the humanity of match officials. And, you know, it's very easy to just see the uniform. And I think that the context within which non-league football in particular should see your efforts is really to say, you know, the players will shake hands when they, um, before the kickoff. It's a tokenry gesture, but it's there as a sign of respect. Anything we can do to respect the fact that our match officials are as much a part of our game as our players and our club volunteers, I think is, is absolutely the right thing to do and reminds us that actually they're, they're people inside and they have feelings. I know. But always the, the first to blame and the last to praise, you know. You've only got to look at match of the day and we tweeted match of the day. We did a long thread of tweets, how, how terrible it was, that they get away with what they do and there's an email going into the BBC to complain about it. I know people go out there and say, oh, stop being a snowflake, stop being this. But we feel we've got a duty to point out, just like a Ronaldo turn, a Peter Crouch, you know, robot dance, right back to a Cruyff turn, people at grassroots football and children will mimic it. Yeah. So why do we think they wouldn't mimic the behaviour of these players and the comments that people like Gary Lineker and all these people are, are making on a primetime TV show about football? They even mocked the referee over blowing his whistle twice, Lee Mason. Yeah, you know... Schoolboy error, schoolboy, absolutely schoolboy error. He'll know that, we'll know that. But someone missed two penalties in that game. One team lost 1-0, and that team missed two penalties. Match of the day spent four seconds talking about missing two penalties and went, oh, yeah, but players make mistakes too. They talked for four minutes, 38 seconds, about a referee blowing his whistle twice and how ridiculous that was. So there's a little snippet of what we mean Players can make all the mistakes in the world. They can cost points, literally cost points. A referee can do a dodgy penalty decision, dodgy red cards, and they, they're the ones that lose, that cost us the game, you know, made us lose. But no one, no one equates the two together and says, well, actually, our, our, our multi-million pound player can't score one-on-one -on -one with a goalkeeper from 12 yards with no fans in the ground twice but a referee who has players haranguing him for all the game, blows his whistle twice, twice, makes an error, makes an error, I'm not going to say it wasn't, but that's, that's, that's the headline. Even the Sun newspaper puts up the headline, unbelievable, spelt Lee in the middle and highlighted yellow. Why can't people see that these people are individuals, the fathers, the mothers, the sons, the daughters? They just, this desensitization of referee abuse has just gone on. For too long, and we all need to own it. We all need to try and make it better. I mean, at the moment, professional football is is all we've got to watch. 
And um, although I will say that actually the Tool Station Western League has an excellent section of our website where we've got um, YouTube footage of our matches. So if you are missing Western League football that much, then please, please go and watch that. But I mean, on a serious note, for football fans who don't normally probably pay match of the day that much attention because we're, we're too busy following our, our own clubs, we haven't got that outlet at the moment. No. And I mean, what do you, you know, let's talk about the human scale of, of what you are describing, because people, you know, I'm sure listening to this will, you know, will, will have seen the, 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 the double whistle blow by Lee Mason. They will have seen Gary Lineker talking about it on Match of the Day and, um, and they will have their own opinion about it. And, and arguably people at the peak of their careers, whether they're match officials or players, I suppose that that comes with the territory. Same with actors um, and any sort of um, very high profile individual. But what are your concerns about what it might mean for the grassroots game? Because we've got an army of match officials who, you know, who, who, who cover our games every week. We've got an army of football fans who haven't been able to actually go to a game. Are you concerned that some of the behavior we're seeing on social media is actually going to spill out um, and make uh, the situation at grassroots level worse than it has been? Absolutely. Here we are the day after the Man United Chelsea game talking on this podcast. There was a decision that should have been a penalty. VAR didn't give it, referee didn't get it. It, 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 it was a penalty. There's a conversation between a match official and Harry Maguire, an England international, listened to by another player, Luke Shaw, who then goes on, on the TV, totally throws the referee under the bus and says, ah, he said to Harry that he didn't want to give it because he gets some stick or whatever it was. I don't know the exact terminology, but the words are irrelevant. The process of what's happened here. Luke Shaw thought it was appropriate to go on national TV and throw the referee under a bus for the conversation he had. Now, interestingly, on match of the day, they 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 said, Oh, let's listen closely here. And he played it and he, he said, Look, there he is. The referee's blown twice on, on that on that one. So they throw the referee under the bus there, Gary Lineker. What they don't do, they don't leave the sound on where the FA where the players are going, you're the effing disgrace. Yeah, effing f- ridiculous, which the which the newspaper, the Daily Mail, reported because they were there and they heard it all. So this sort of like strategy mm. to justify our referees wrong, but never to justify that our players wrong in behaviour is something that really needs to change. Because, like we said, we become fair game at every level of football, and you see people, you know, shouting out at grassroots levels of the Western League and below things and actions that they would have heard on the TV. And then at the end of the match of the day, they end it by doing a final whistle, you know, the, the three beeps on a whistle. Totally taking the piss out of the referee and mocking him. Just wouldn't happen. And then these are the people that are then saying, wasn't it terrible that Caroline Flacken was a suicide because of social media abuse? And then weeks later, are doing the same to a referee. It's, I, just, I just can't see why referees are just fair game. Ian, I know there's some great teams out there in the Western League, particularly in below. And the brilliance and, and, and the vast majority are brilliance, absolutely brilliant. But there's small and small numbers getting bigger and louder. And the FA released a statement, they made a statement, we complained that they never defended Mike Reed or, or the grassroots uh, referees on their social media. media. They're quick to say, oh, look, someone's been suspended and fined 2,000 quid. They're great, very quick to do that, the FA on social media, but they won't send a message out condoning that sort of behaviour of, of death threats and stuff like that. And it's 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 the worry from for us that if the FA national governing body aren't going to come out and support referees, who is? 
I know one of the other things we've talked about over the uh, you know over the years has been sort of the 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 support that you provide um, to match officials. And I mean, I suppose all of us are acutely aware at the moment of of our own mental health situation, and that is because you know many of us are working from home. You know, we're we're, we're stopped from seeing the people that we love. Um, but you know, when you throw into the mix uh, the type of abuse um, that you're talking about, I mean. What 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 are you what what's the situation at the moment regarding ref support and, and and the work you're doing to help people's mental health? Well, we've still got the helpline, which is open twenty four seven, even Christmas Day, and that's um, sponsored by Watermark Wealth Management, which is a, um, a business in Burnham on Sea. is a great supporter of ref support UK, so that enables us to have that open all the time. Social media, as you, as you mentioned, is hugely popular. We get lots of people coming to us. And then we're launching this um, Give the Ref Hand campaign, which is all about, you know, giving, giving the ref a hand to create a better environment, not just giving them a round of applause. Otherwise, it would have been called Give the Ref a Round of Applause. And now we've got the mental health first aiders that we're, we're launching today, later on today, uh, which is Monday the 1st of March, that we're, um, we're going to... We've got a sponsor who's going to support us to pay for between 12 and 15 people to get trained up as mental health first aid, first aiders, which is a certified course delivered by professionals. So people are available all over the country. One of the things about us and compared to the FA or the Referee Association is that we're called Ref Support UK. We, every referee in the UK can have our services free. It doesn't matter. And also referees who don't register with the FA. There's thousands of them out there. All the other organisations, the FA just look after England, Scottish FA to Scotland, blah, blah, blah. the Referee Association just does England. We're the only organisation that will support referees irrespective of whether they are registered with the FA nationwide. So we're going to do this nationwide. We're going to have people in Scotland, people in Wales, people in Ireland and England just being available to give trains, mental health first aid to help people who, who are suffering because lots, lots of things happen in comments. I remember comments getting shouted at me. I've always had big ears, sticky out ears. I remember getting loads of stick about that, saying, God, I never paid for an obscured view because your ears line out. You know, and we all, we all get stuff that sticks us, but there's many memories where people have said wonderful things and, and they've stuck at me too. But the way we're made as human beings, the negative ones hang around a little bit longer. And what we're finding is that they just, the offices are closed for the county FA. Nearly all county FAs are still on furlough. They haven't got anyone to turn to. They haven't got anyone to just just bounce things off. And, and when we do talk to each other, unfortunately, we, we make them realise that it's not just them. Yeah. Because a lot of them think it's my fault. I'm the one that's getting absolutely slated after the game. I'm the one that's getting slated on social media because I've come up with an idea that people just called ridiculous. And it's all these little avenues where if they go to the FA when they are open, they feel as if they're telling their manager that they're weak, that they're not quite strong enough to do that derby game which they get appointed to. So why would you go to your county FA who give you the cup finals, who give you promotions, who give you local derbies that you're not mentally strong? Why would you share that? You just wouldn't, would you? But there's never been anything else to do outside that. So we're creating these conduits where, look, let's give you some support, let you understand that it, it, it isn't just you. There's many people out there you can learn from their experiences. But more importantly, that there's some great clubs out there that will support you. And that one that you went to with, with the with the horrible fans, they're in a minority. And let's get you out there with the better clubs. And we know clubs engage with us in, in, in the Western League and, and everywhere else who, who 
I've got them queuing up. Bournemouth is another one. Bournemouth minister. We're Andy Cad, so you're blessing Evertonian. So he give me some stick over beating Liverpool. Top lad, he, he's very vocal. He can give referees loads of stick. But but you can have a pint with him afterwards. You can carry on in a bar and give you loads. I'm not saying that's why it's all wrong. I'm just saying there's people out there that will give you abuse all game in the car park, in the bar. Whole environment's toxic and horrible. Yet we understand there's frustrations. Yet we were praying not to say anything to us. But if you are going to say it and, it, and it's not as toxic as some of the comments you see on social media, well, at least we can have a pint afterwards and try and sort it out. And, so, and everyone learn from us. I've done it. But loads of teams in the Western League over a pint and said, oh, actually, I never thought of that. You know, did you really think I wanted to get a penalty wrong? Did you really think I wanted to get that 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 red card wrong? Really? Did you really think? And when people start analysing it, that we're all just humans, we've, you know, some of us are bricklayers, some of us uh, are accountants, some of us are bus spotters, some of us are boxers. You know, we're, we're not all those like little people with no mates that sit in the corner of school. You know, it's 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 the realisation that referees can offer just as much to a game as a player can to increase the environment to be one that flourishes. And I think when more people realise that, they get more fans through the door, those fans will spend more money, everybody wins. It's that realisation that's there. It's very easy to fix. Just try and fix it together. I mean, I think that's a really important point that you make, actually, because I've always said, uh, made no you know, secret of the fact that one of the reasons I love the Western League is because it's a league where I, I feel comfortable taking my wife and children, you know, my, mm. my, my father to games. You know, that family environment is really important. And I mean, I think sometimes, particularly we've seen it in professional football, and we like to think the dark days are behind us. Um, but, you know, it, it feels like for some people, football is an opportunity to go away for a couple of hours and become somebody else and actually, you know, become a worse person, become the sort of person that they wouldn't want their, certainly their family, let alone their friends to, to, to necessarily know um, who they are. And so I think for, for people, you know, one of the reasons that we're prepared to, you know, really labour this point on the podcast is because we want our league, we want all of football, but we certainly want our league to be a family-friendly league, and I think that that, that will encourage um, people through the gate, as as you said. So let's talk about the roadmap. If we're going to if we're going to borrow Boris's phrase, we'll talk about the roadmap out of this, Martin. Um, now, in the short term, we'll talk about the longer term in a minute. But in the short term, I know last time I spoke to you, you mentioned uh, a, an app that you had, the whistle uh, that you called it whistleblowing for whistleblowers. Yeah. yeah realistically speaking in the short term when people go to a game and they see something that they don't like they see a referee or a lines person being um you know being abused in a way that is not acceptable um really we we have to start taking a stand don't we we have to start say actually that type of behavior is not acceptable no everybody lose everyone loses and the, and the roadmap to a better environment is, is there it's there you've got a board at the western league that really want to do something about this they, they were the first league in the country to engage with us. All right, it's from my area. But they could have said no. But other leagues lower down said, no, well, we're just going to get on with it. It isn't that big of a problem. The Western League di didn't say it was a big problem. They said it's a problem they want to make, make less and less. And I think they do that when you've got people on the boards who just understand it and get it, that if you're going to be watching a game and paying your money to go in and, and have, have your burger and chips and your cup of tea, and next to you is a bloke swearing and effing and jeffing, who, who would want that? And then you look at some of the people that do at some clubs, where these people are on the committees. There are committees of some of these clubs. Not many of them, but some of them. And you just think, you're trying to sell a product of a football club and you're spewing 
vile. Every swear word under the sun to an individual who's trying to give you the best possible game he can. He might not to, or here, it might not to, because they get things wrong. Just like your player, you might pay £15 a game through, can't score from 12 yards, one-on-one -on -one with a goalkeeper. You know, just 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 realise what's going on. And, and you, you get all this stuff, oh, we're going to, it's going to cost us 120 quid today for, to have you four there, bloody disgrace. Well, that's not a reason to, 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 to batter them, to give them loads, to say, oh, because I've paid, I'm, I'm entitled to give you all the abuse that I can vent just because I've paid. It's just a really ridiculous way. And I, honestly, I, I'm hopeful, you know, I, I'm, I look at social media and I think, yeah, it's, it's toxic, but there's an awful lot of good coming in, like I do with some of the people who engage with me on social media. I, I, you, you've seen it. I do it on purpose. I'll have a go. I'll say things. I'll reply to people exactly what a player would do. You know, we had, we had that out there about um, oh, the problem is with referees. You know, they'll be playing next week and, you know, they've missed that penalty and it's terrible they're not held accountable. So then I put up a tweet. Well, there's that player. He's just missed two penalties. He'll, the problem is he'll be out next week as if nothing's happened. Well, people went mad. You're a charity. You can't do that. Well, sorry. You've been doing that to referees for decades and that's perfectly fine. And it's this sort of like smack him in the face a little bit back, metaphorically, obviously. Just to say, look, do you realise what you do? Do you realise that? You will give a referee massive, massive abuse and threats. Some even get beat up because of performance on a game. But you'll clap out off one of your players for picking up a stupid second yellow card where you then lose that game and then you lose that player. You know, what, what, what's all that about? How, how do you explain that to an alien? This is how we do. Yeah. I, just, I, just, I just can't get me as out I mean, ultimately, if we are to um, get control over um, the abuse of, of match officials, really, it's going to it's going to take a whole game effort, isn't it? It's going to be it's you know it's 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 about the players on the pitch, the the managers and coaches in the dugout, the supporters in the um, in the you know in the ground. And I I guess you would argue that actually it, it goes above that as well. It goes it goes um, into the way that the game is administered. And and you've mentioned yourself actually. It's the way that we the, the media talk about um, football uh, across the board and how we analyse and understand the incidents of a game. Yeah, they want to they want to get a use a grip of every single abuse that goes on, and, and rightly so. They want to get rid absolutely obliterate a lot of it: racism, homophobic abuse, Islamophobia, you know, anti-Semitism. All of it, all of it, rightly needs addressing. But but they don't seem to think that. Well, it's okay. We can still abuse the referee. That, and that's all right. We don't care if they're all those protected characteristics because they've got a referee's kit on. Oh, my God. They, we can say what we want to do, what we want to them. We can mock them on nice on the television and laugh at them. That's fair game. I, I just don't understand it. And, and I think, you know, I look, when I was Liverpool, born and bred in Antwerp, I've, I've lived down in Somerset now for 30 odd years, longer than I was in Liverpool. Do you really think I don't sit at the telly and shout at the referee if I think he's got courses in, courses in? But I would never, never go and do that out in public. I would never go and, you know, threaten them. I would never, ever, ever look at hitting them or physically threaten them. Do you know what I mean? I just, and I just, it's all these sorts of like evolution of abuse that, you know, where does like, come on up, come on, ref, turn into, you know, I hope your children die of cancer. How is that tiny? How do people think that that's like even acceptable? I don't, I just, I just, I can't equate it. 
And they just, oh, if you looked at our blog, The Final Whistle, just to prove a point, Troy Townsend, who's the, the main man in, one of the main men in um, Kick It Out, Andros Townsend's dad, he, he tweeted a while back uh, that he was having, having a go with a referee at a, at a game. And, and he, he, he said, um, oh, this is outrageous. I said something. So I went back to him and said, oh, hang on, Troy, Troy, hang on. Do you realise what you're doing here? And he said to me, um, well, well, what do you mean? This is me you are talking about. You know, I, I, I don't abuse people. I, you know, I said, but hang on, Troy, Troy, you rightly fight racial abuse on, on, on every way. And it's brilliant that you do that. However, you think it's okay to have a go with a referee? So we had this ex exchange. He then said to me, you schooled me on Twitter. You schooled me because I didn't realise what I was doing. Here I am saying, let's not abuse any, uh, you know, anyone because of the race. But there I am. All right, he wasn't being horrible like some of the people are. But he was, he was starting a ball rolling. Mm -hmm. And that's what people do. People will throw something else. Oh, my God, terrible decision uh, by, by Mike Dean. And then 12 tweets later, people are sending them death threats. Let's stop the ball rolling in the beginning. Let's stop that culture change, which is why give the ref a hand at the same principle. Let's go down to the bottom of the game. Let's give our next generation of match officials a much more easier environment to flourish in. And then those better referees will come through at the top and everybody wins. Because clearly the professional game is not getting older. of it. They're just not. We, we'd like to know the last time a player got sent off on the Premier League for swearing. I've got... I've I can't remember that pop one up on the bottom of a, a Sky News ticker tape. Often, I wonder what that is. So I think when they get hold of it, let them do what they've got to do. But let's prove that as a community of grassroots, Western League downwards, youth, let's get a group of it ourselves. Let's all come together and make the game better together. That's what this give the ref a hand is all about, not a clap. Martin, thank you very much for your time. Just in case there is anybody out there listening to this who isn't aware of, well, your, your social media presence, particularly Twitter, and, and you, you did talk about the, your excellent podcast, The uh, the Final Whistle. Um, where can listeners find those? Listen, you can find the, the, it's called Referees, The Final Whistle, which is on YouTube. We've got our website, which all the contact details are on there. It's uh, refsupport.co.uk. We've got a 24-7 hotline which is 0300 1966 the year England won the World Cup, easy to remember. So all those platforms are there. We're all happy to, we talk to players, some players get older us and say, I've had this shocking report of a referee, can you help me with it? And we help players too, because we understand that some referees make mistakes. And the reason we can all have the game together, I think us sitting there independently away from the FA, and I'm sure we give the FA more stick than most football clubs do, is that we just want to make the game better together. And we're there for you all. And my thanks, as always, to Martin for his time. Uh, now, finally, Jim, before we sign off, I, I, I do quite like asking you for your sort of reminiscences in, uh, you know, through a career in um, in uh, in football media. And um, despite, you know, picking up on the theme of, um, of of obviously what Martin was talking about, referees and and refereeing, I I, I I hesitate. We could get into terrible trouble here if Martin's listening. And 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 I ask you to tell us a funny story about a referee that he takes offence at. But I mean, have you got any uh, any any particular memories of? Um, referees or refereeing from your time in the game? I've got a couple. When uh, Bristol City played Crystal Palace in the playoff semi-finals, uh, Dan Ashton Gate, they played at Crystal Palace and won. And then it was an evening game and it went to extra time. Lee Trundle scored and then Michael McKindo scored. 
we were down in the tunnel because we knew there was going to be a pitch invasion. From memory, it was Howard Webb was refereeing. And you could see him, because the tunnel was behind one of the goals, you could see him edging towards the tunnel because he knew what was happening. So the ball went out and uh, he signalled to the linesman. You could see the linesman started to leg it before and he blew the whistle. And I've never seen someone run so quick up the tunnel. He got up there in his northern accent. He went, I haven't run so fast in all the game, he said, and all these Bristolians were chasing all the players off. That was one. Another one was uh, when I worked at Yeovil, we used to have behind closed doors games and uh, they had to find a referee and linesman. And uh, I was sat in the office a couple of times and Gene, the secretary, would phone up, Jim, what, what are you up to? I'm doing the programme or something. Oh, we need you. Pop up a minute. So I pop up. She goes, uh, we need you to run the line or referee. Bloody hell, Gene, do I really? So, well, do you know a qualified ref? I was like, Actually, I do. My dad. So I phoned my dad. <laughs> I say to Dad, what are you up to? He goes, well, I'm at work. I said, can you get off for a little bit because we need a referee? He's like, yeah, all right, yeah, let's see what I can do. And 20 minutes later, he rocked up from work, refereed, and uh, I was on one line and one of my mates on the other line. But I always made sure that I wasn't on the Yeovil attacking one because sometimes at one point they had Adam Stansfield up front and Andy Lindergaard on the wing and they were both rapid. And uh, so my mate Chris had to be on the line for the oval attacking, trying to keep up with Stansfield and Lindergaard. And I was all right. I had the fat Weymouth striker at the other end. So and, uh, <laughs> I, I, could, I, I could keep up with him. But yeah, so my dad used to skive off of work. But because it was behind closed doors as well, uh, he thought he could get away with it. But one time they left the gates open and one of his uh, work colleagues was sat in there watching. And my dad's refereeing and he told him he had an appointment somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, so that's pretty much it. The rest are all standard ones of players shouting at the at the refs, and sometimes they give them a quick quip back, but probably not something you could repeat on a family uh, podcast. <laughs> did, uh, I mean, what do the players like in a behind the closed door friendly? Because I, I would imagine that they're every bit as sort of competitive as they are when they're you know on uh, in front of a crowd. Yeah, without doubt. Like, obviously, you're friendly with the players as well so but they still give you stick if you give them give a decision or you don't give a decision you're, you're only doing it to be fair as well you're not going to go out to, to cheat or whatever we played one of the games was against Woking and uh, in front of the dugouts a Woking player had a, a throw in and it was the worst foul throw you've ever seen it was a friendly behind closed doors you couldn't let it go and my dad blew up and said foul throw and the bloke was like moaning, going, oh, it's a friendly, a friendly. You're a semi-pro or pro footballer. Surely you should know how to do a throwing. <laughs> like giving him something back and the bench were all like, "Wee!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice one. So I bet he had a bit of stick on the way home on the bus. But yeah, they, they are ultra competitive. I think this, any sportsman, they're semi-pro, pro. And I think even down local football, you want to win, don't you? And, you certainly uh, do. Yeah, they're ultra competitive, that's for sure. Well, Jim, I tell you, in, in what's not been the easiest week for non-league football, you've put a smile back on my face <laughs> with those. Absolutely fantastic. Um, God only knows what we're going to do over the coming weeks. Um, now our season has been curtailed. I'm sure there'll be there'll be other um, breaking stories that um, uh, that that come as well that we, we'll we'll want to bring you. So I think me and Jim not going anywhere for the foreseeable future. And uh, so until next week, you've been listening to the Tool Station. 
Westernly Podcast.